I pray right now, God, that you would move in power. God, we need to hear more than the words of man. We need to hear from you, Father. And so, God, I pray right now that you would use my mouth, that you would use my mind, that you would begin to speak through me, even now, Father God. Move me out of the way, God, and do what only you can do. God, I pray that your word would go forth in power today and produce a harvest of a 30, 60, and 100 fold in our lives for the good of this city, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen and amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. If you're wondering why it's a little one-man band today, all of our pastors are working. Pastor Jake is off traveling. I believe he's, he's preaching somewhere. Um, and Pastor Marcus is back there with the babies this morning. Love, hey, Miss Sylvia, what's going on? I'm sorry. My bad. Ignore that. We're going to cut that out the recording. Hey, y'all. So Miss Sylvia used to be my Sunday school teacher, y'all. Hey, hey, hey. She will have an escort out of the service so that no one can ask her any stories. Amen. Because our God is a redeemer. <laughs> Amen. Anyway, so Pastor Marcus is back there serving with the, the children this morning, and Pastor Jake is off traveling uh, with him and his lovely bride. So um, please pray for them as they're serving God's kingdom in a different place this morning. This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 3. Um, if you do not have a Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, all you have to do is just lift your hand up, and one, and one of our ushers will put a Bible in your hand. So if you don't have yours, just lift your hand up, and we'll give you one that's right here in the middle. Um, also, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is a gift to you. You can take that, write your name in it. That is your gift from us to you. So please feel free to take those Bibles if needed. So last week, we talked about this new kingdom, how Jesus was preaching something a little bit different, a little bit, a little bit different. He was preaching a new kingdom. He talked about this new wine, this new wineskin. And last week, we looked at new pattern of fasting, a new purpose for the Sabbath, which led to a new plan to kill Jesus. If you remember that Jesus was doing more than miracles, the Pharisees and Sadducees realized, that he was doing more than just teaching good things. He was being more than a good moral teacher. He was actually proclaiming a new kingdom. And for that reason, the leading religious leaders at the time decided that Jesus was worth killing. And so today is really of a continuation of that same thought, because what is new oftentimes comes change. A new life brings a changed life. And there are some things in our lives, y'all, that, that may change it just a little bit. And there are some things that fundamentally redefine who we are. Some of us, it was a death in the family. Although it was a moment in time, that significant event changed who we are. For some of us, it was the birth of a child, a start of a new relationship. There are some, some things in our lives, y'all, that although it's new, it changes who we are from then going forward. The case today is going to be, is Christianity that for you? Has Christianity fundamentally redefined who you are, or is it merely an accessory to your life? So read with me silently as I read aloud Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, as we look at the setup for this passage. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee, and a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowds wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing forward to touch him. 
Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them to not make him known. So what's happening? The Pharisees had just declared that we're going to kill Jesus. So what he does, he continues to preach and teach. But now crowds are thronging around Jesus. But the question is, why? Well, because they heard about the miracles. He'd been casting out demons. He'd been healing people who were sick. And so people came with their needs saying, hey, Jesus, I'm sick too. Hey, Jesus, this man is possessed with a demon. So they came not because Jesus was a Messiah, but because they came because Jesus was a healer. But even the demons knew better. Look at verse 11. It says, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. You are the son of God. We're going to come back to that. The rest of this passage, we're going to go through all for the rest of chapter three, all the way up to chapter four. We're going to see three distinct realities happening. That in this new life, God is going to change some things. First, he's going to change our identity. Then he's going to change the standard. And then he's going to change even our families. A changed name, a changed standard, and a changed family. Let's look at the rest of this passage and see what the Lord would say to us this morning. Verses 13 through 19 of Mark chapter 3. Let me read this for us. It says, Jesus went up to the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, whom he had named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the 12 To Simon, he gave the name Peter, and to James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John, he gave the name Boagenes, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, the temptation is to read this list of names and just hurry past it because you want to hear the story or the parable that Jesus is about to share. But Jesus does something tremendous right in this passage that if you're reading too quickly, you'll miss over it. What did Jesus do to the 12? What were they before, verse 13? Were they disciples or apostles? They were disciples. Look just a few verses earlier in verse 9. We said that this same group was called the disciples. And then in verse 13, he chooses 12 from that group and calls them not just disciples now, but apostles. He would even go so far as to change the very names of a few of them. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Does it matter what they're called, the 12 disciples, apostles? Does it matter? Absolutely. A disciple is what? A student, a learner, someone who's being trained in something. What does apostle mean? Do we know? Someone who's sent out? A messenger. That's what apostle means. So you begin to see the shift in responsibility here from, hey, take notes, hey, learn what I'm doing, to now be a mouthpiece, now share, now speak, now go. This is a tremendous shift for the first time. The disciples are now given a responsibility not just to be quiet and listen, but to now go and tell. Now, is that just for them or is that for us as well? Remember this from last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18. It says, we all with unveiled faces as looking in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being what? Transformed into the same image, the same image of Jesus from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the spirit. We talked last week how this is a verse describing what discipleship, describing what sanctification looks like. That as we spend more and more time with Jesus, we should get smarter. No, we should We should get more religious. No, 
we should become to look more and more like Jesus. As we spend time with Jesus, the true mark of maturity is transformation, not just stockpiling information. You hear that time and time again, and why? Because we want to be people who look like Jesus. And so the disciples who've been following Jesus along, they are now going from students to now messengers. This began to, to prick my heart a little bit because, like, what is God doing here? What's wrong with the name Peter? What's wrong with the name Levi? Why was Levi renamed Matthew? Why was Cephas renamed Rock or Peter? What's wrong with their names? Nothing. So why is Jesus changing their names? I think because he's trying to give them a glimpse of what Christian maturity is like. We talked about this very briefly last week, but what I, the change in name isn't just walking away from sin, but sometimes you've got to walk away from who you used to be, whether it was wrong or right to follow Jesus. Now, that can be hard for some of us, because for some of us, we're trying to find out where that line is. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But the Bible says, don't lie, but what's a lie? How close can I get to the line before it's a sin? And I mean, we all started there as, as young believers. We just want to know what the rules are. Like, I knew how to live in the world. Now I'm trying to live as, as, a, as a Christ follower, trying to live as a Christian. And you try to figure it out. It's a new language. It's a new culture. And so you start there, but you can't stay there, believer. Eventually, you've got to not worry about how close you can get to the line. But you've got to start making your concern, what glorifies God the most? Not what can I get away with, but what shines the light the brightest to who God is in my life? As mature Christians, Jesus will sometimes change things in your life that aren't bad at all. They're just not good for you. Jesus will cause you to change things that aren't even wrong for other people, but are wrong for you. Let me give you an example of this in Scripture. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. It'll be on the screen. Now, there was this controversy setting up a little bit of background. There was this controversy about food being sacrificed to idols. So back in that day, there was a rampant idolatry worship. And so what they would do is they would offer sacrifices to these idols. And usually that sacrifice was some sort of food. And so you had people bringing their gifts and their tithes to these false gods. So but what do you do with all this food that people are giving? Well, there was a secondhand market where you can get this food really, really cheap. And it was meat. And it was groceries, basically. Right? It's, I mean, it's the Harris Teeter, and then there's like the Trader Joe's, and there's like Piggly Wiggly, right? You know what I'm saying? Like this was, this was like the cheap, right? Like it's like, hey man, this food is half off because it's been offered to an idol. And so the Christians were wrestling with, can we eat this food? Because it's been offered to an idol, does idols have any power? And Paul absolutely answered the question, said idols don't exist. Buy the food, eat the food, it don't matter. Save you some money, go and eat. But look at what he says about those who are still struggling with this, the weaker brother. 14 verses 1 through 4, it says, Accept anyone who is weak in the faith. But don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak only eats vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted him. And here's the point. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. What does that mean for us today? That means as you mature in Christ, not only will God call you to do things that are, eight, that are a little unusual, that are not outright sin, you have to give up some things, but also we have to grow in our compassion because not everybody is where you are. 
Not everybody is where you are. Someone may listen to music that God has called you a long time ago to give up. Not everybody's where you are. Some, there's some TV shows that I just don't watch. I'm not going to go on Facebook and fight about it, though. Now, there are some things that are just sin for everybody, right? Those things are explicitly in scriptures. But as God calls us to mature and grow, we have to grow in our compassion and our charity for what God is doing in other people. There is this tendency in Christian circles to look out at some other preachers. I'm going to land the plane right in your backyard here in a second. There are some preachers that we don't like. There are some preachers that, that, are, that are, in many cases, heretical in some instances. And so uh, someone will share a, a, a clip from a preacher on Facebook, and usually my reformed brothers and sisters will begin the attack, right? We got a podcast. We got a blog. We got a video that you should watch and how these guys are heresy. And some of that's true and helpful, y'all, but a year ago, that person wasn't listening to God at all. A year ago, that person hated God, and now that the fact that they're listening to anything should be celebrated and not condemned. Is there an opportunity for growth here? Absolutely. There's an opportunity for growth. Do I want to have this fight on Facebook? No, I do not. Because I want to grow in my charity as I grow in my maturity. I want to realize, man, I, if someone didn't take the time to walk me through, I might be listening to that. I might be consuming that. So let me take this as an opportunity to love somebody graciously and kind. And so change is a part of the Christian life, but God is working on all of us in different ways and in different seasons and in different areas. And we need to be compassionate to one another, y'all. We need to be compassionate to one another. So the first thing God changes is their identity. He changes their very names and who you are. You have to give up some things in order to follow Christ. But if you gain Christ in the end, what did you really give up? There's a... There's a great quote that's all on the internet that says, knowledge is growing in information. Wisdom is letting things go. That's true, y'all. Knowledge is growing in information. The wisdom is letting that this thing isn't just isn't good. There's not a verse in the Bible that says I can't do that, but is it good? Is it helpful for me to do these things? I know the Bible says, you know, alcohol is okay and does not to be drunk in wine, but is it, is it helpful in this setting and this group of people? As I'm standing on the cross of Jesus Christ, as I'm standing as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and people are looking at my life as the standard, is this helpful to others? Is this an example that I would want to set? Yes, I could do it, but is it helpful? Does it give the most glory to God? That's our new reality. So not only God changes our name, but then he begins to change our standard. Keep reading. It's quiet this morning. That's okay. That's okay. Verses 20 through 30, we begin to see the second area that God begins to change, and he begins to change the standard for the Christian life. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30, it says, Jesus entered a house, and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. This is Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters here saying that he is out of his mind. We're going to come back to that in a second. Verse 22, the, the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. He drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. So Jesus responds, he says, How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. 
But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Now a verse that trips up many people we're going to walk through. Verse 28. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has forgiveness, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Y'all, this verse has tripped up Christians for thousands of years. So if you're looking for a robust definition explanation, we don't have time. Come back Sunday night. We'll walk through it. But what does it mean? Because he was doing all right. How can a kingdom be divided? That makes sense. You know, and one man to be, to be bound, another man has to come in who is stronger than him. That all makes sense. Jesus is saying, I am the strong man who can bind Satan. If, 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 if Satan is working against himself, how can his kingdom stand? So all that stuff makes logical sense that Jesus can't be casting out demons with the power of demons because that would be Satan working against himself. So we, I think that makes sense. But then he says something crazy a little bit. He says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. What is Jesus saying? What is this thing that there is no forgiveness for? What is this sin that you can never be forgiven for? Let me unpack this for just a second. Jesus is loosely quoting Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Here's what we know, y'all. Here's some basic, fundamental, how to understand hard passages in the Bible, is you let the Bible interpret itself. So here's what we know that the Bible clearly says, Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We know that. So whatever this verse means, it can't mean that salvation isn't offered to somebody. Because Romans 10, 13 is clearly saying that whoever calls on Jesus will be saved. So what is Jesus saying? The reality is, y'all, there are some who look at Jesus and they can't deny his miracles. They can't deny his power. They can't deny the influence of the church. And so what they do, instead of saying Jesus isn't who he says he is, they actually ascribe all the good that he's doing to evil. And the scary thing is, y'all, this has made a comeback in conversations. There are some Christianity, there are some religions that don't just take a different path than, than following Jesus. They're actually against Jesus. Jesus was a liar. Jesus was a charlatan. The church is an agent of wickedness and evil. There are some who believe that Jesus wasn't just a crazy person. Jesus wasn't just a good moral teacher, but that actually he's an invention altogether. He's actually bad for us. Hebrew Israelites and others believe this. And so the problem is this sin, what makes it unforgivable isn't that there is no, the, the blood of Jesus Christ isn't effective. It's the people who will never take advantage of Jesus. The reason there is no forgiveness for the sin is because there's no one who believes what God is doing is good. They will never pursue Jesus. They will never look to God for salvation because they believe it to be evil. This is, this is hard to get through. But he was talking to the Pharisees. He says, if you call what I'm doing evil, you'll never look to me for salvation. So there's no hope for you because you'll never look to where hope is being offered. You may be the son of the richest 
man or woman in the world, but if you never take advantage of what's being offered to you by inheritance, you will live in poverty. It's not that it's not available to you, you just don't want it. So Jesus is saying, I'm the savior of the world. Anyone who comes to me will be saved. Anyone who puts their faith in me will be saved, but there are some who will never do that because they have rejected me so soundly that they think I'm actually doing evil in this world. So, if you were worried about breaking this verse, or you were worried about committing this sin, you have already proven that this is sin doesn't apply to you. This is for people who outright reject Jesus for who he is, what he did, who he stands for. If that's you this morning, you're probably not here, and so those of us who are worried about violating the sin, be at ease. Because what is Jesus really doing? He's not just listing out a sin that can't be forgiven, he's changing the standard. Because what's the measurement of righteousness up to this point? The measurement of righteousness up to this point is how well you can keep the rules. Are you circumcised? Do you observe the new moon, the fast, Sabbaths and fast? Do you do all the right things? That's how you are accepted before God. That's how you're righteous before God. So what is Jesus doing here? He's saying, no, the standard is not whether how good are the rules you're keeping. The standard is me. Let me prove that to you in Scripture, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how do we know whether a spirit is from God or from the world? This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, even now is already in the world. There were a lot of lies floating around, y'all. There were a lot of false religions floating around. And if we get, I was talking to a couple brothers who were, who were walking through some, through, some, through some heretical beliefs. And there's a million rabbit trails. Well, was, you know, the Bible was corrupted, and was Jesus really white, and all these other things like being tossed around. I said, okay, we can fight about all that stuff for all long, but let's talk about is Jesus the Messiah or not? Because that's what matters. That's the standard for orthodoxy. Is Jesus at the center of your theology? Is Jesus at the center of your belief system? Is he how you are accepted before God? Or is it Jesus and your obedience? Is it Jesus and your ethnicity? Is it Jesus and circumcision? Is it Jesus and anything? Because that is from the world and is the spirit of the Antichrist. Jesus alone is sufficient for salvation. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't get lost in what, in the, what this verse may mean. See clearly what it does say. I'm the standard, religious leaders. What you do about me determines whether you're right with God or not. To reject me is to reject salvation. To accept me is to receive salvation. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is changing the standard of righteousness itself. And some of us grew up in backgrounds where that standard was still the old standard. Keep the rules, be good enough, and it'll all work out in the end. That is not the path to salvation, y'all. You will never be good enough so that the good stuff you did outweighs the bad stuff you did. No one is that good. You will never do enough good works. We've tried. Try to keep the Old Testament law for a week and see how it goes. It's cookout season, so crabs is off the table. <laughs> so come on now. You may not even want to try. Because the reality is all those Old Testament laws were not for us to, to earn our way to God. It's to show us that we could never earn our way to God. Because who could be perfect like the law demands? 
There was only one. Jesus said, I'll do it. So he came, kept all the laws, lived a perfect life. And what he did after he died and rose from the grave, he said, here, I earned righteousness. I earned God's favor. Let me give it to all those who would put their trust in me. That's the standard of Christianity, y'all. Not how good you are, but how dependent you are upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. A new name, a new identity, a new standard. And lastly, a changed family. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. His mothers and his brothers came, talking about Jesus, and standing outside, they sent word for him and called to him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside looking for you. He replied to them, who were my mothers and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now, Jesus wasn't discarding our family. He was reorienting us to our family. So Jesus, people pick up the story right there and said, hey, man, Jesus and his mom and his brother and sister, they just wanted his attention. And Jesus was like, nah, I'm busy. That's not what's happening. Remember in verses 20 and 21, it says, Jesus entered the house, the crowd gathered so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him. Why? Because they said he was out of his mind. So Jesus' family is coming to check him. Like, you need to stop talking about your God. You need to stop laying hands on people. You need to stop saying that you are these things. So Jesus' family was in opposition to him. So we know that Jesus isn't talking about throwing away family. Because other places in Scripture, once again, let the Bible interpret the Bible. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially his own household, he has denied the faith. And is worse than an unbeliever. I don't even know what that means, to be worse than an unbeliever. But it's bad. So God is clearly not saying that you can just ignore your family, throw them away. No, we are called to love and provide. But there is a sense of a change priority. And this, for some of us, is a statement of hope and freedom. Because for some of us, it costs you something to become a Christian. Maybe your family was of a different religion. Maybe your family cast you out a little bit. Maybe now you're not invited to be part of the conversation. You're not invited to be part of the family reunion. You're not invited to be part of this thing because you're the crazy one now. And so for some of us, becoming a Christian cost us some dear relationships with people that we love and people we are called to continue to love. What Jesus was speaking to this is for those who feel that way, there is hope now. Whoever does the will of, of God is my mother and brother and sister. Mark chapter 3, verse 35. Here's what God is saying. For those who've had to give up family, our persecuted brothers around the world risk life and limb to follow Jesus Christ. Some of the people in this room have been cast off as a little crazy by their family because they decide to live their life according to Christ. What Jesus is saying is I will take their place. This family, this church family will take their place. You didn't lose your brother and sister. You didn't lose your mother. You gained a million more. You gained a million brothers and sisters all around the world because those are your true family. That is why we say on Sunday mornings that Radiant is not like a family. We, where did we get that from, y'all? I didn't make that up. We are a family because Jesus says we are a family. We are actually brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So the only question is, do we, are we a good brother or sister of Christ? Are we not? The church is meant to fill that missing piece that oftentimes come with sacrificing family to follow Jesus. That's why we've got to do this thing on more than Sunday, y'all, because there are some people who lost their moms. There are some people who lost their brothers and sisters, and they feel a weight and a hole in their hearts that we, the church, are called to fill as those who love them and walk with them in life. That's why we've got to commune with one another. That's why we've got to be in relationship with one another, because there are those who don't have anyone else but the church. We don't have anyone else but Jesus working in their life, and we need to be that for people. Jesus is saying, I will take their place through the church. So we have a changed identity, a changed standard, and a changed family, all because we decided to follow Jesus. So what's the application? How do we live this out in our lives? Let me say this. If you've been walking with Jesus for some time now, what's different about your life? What's different? There should be a progressive going from glory to glory as you walk with Jesus. And it'll start off with big stuff at first. I remember when I got saved, there was a lot of things in my life that had to stop right away because it was overt sin. And then for the last several years, it's been this slow chipping away of things that I thought were okay. Things that I didn't see anything wrong with, but God says, no, it's not good for you. You can't spend your time that way, not because it's bad, but because I got something better. You can't hang out with those people, not because they're bad, but because I've got something better. You can't follow them, because, not because it's bad, but because I've got something better. And so the call is, has Jesus transformed our life, or is he an accessory to our lives? Do we want Jesus to just sprinkle a little goodwill on our plans? God, help my business grow. God, help my family. God, help my ideas. God, help me be a better me. Or do we say, God, I lay it all down, and I just want you. I want to live a life that is saturated with your will for my life. My sister, I probably shouldn't have said my sister. Sorry, she doesn't listen to this thing anyway. Um, She is, from nine to five, this woman that I know is the most professional human being that you will ever meet in your life. I mean, consummate professional. Has some of the, I mean, she's worked for Slack and Zoom and the CRDA. I mean, just high-end, VP-level stuff. But something weird happens at 501. She gets a little, what's the, what's the, what's the technical word is uh, ratchet? Is the word? <laughs> <A> little, <laughs> she would admit it to it now. It's okay. Sorry, we can talk about it. We're all family. We're brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters. And I asked her, I was like, man, Anna, like, what's happening? Like, during the day, it's fine, y'all. She's not a Christian. She don't listen to my sermons. I promise you that. Um, she'll never hear this. Um, my mom will. She'll probably text me. I should have thought this through. All right, so from 9 to 5, she's great. From 5 o'clock, something happens. She's, she's proud of it. She thinks it's hilarious. I'm just like, man, like, I'll walk in, and she, you know, like, she'll be watching something crazy or doing something crazy. Like, what's happening? She's, and she always has these excuses for why a little ratchet is okay. You know, it's, oh, it's fine. You know, it's just a little thing. It's my little, it's my little, it's my way to, to vent. It's my way to do this. It's my way to do that. And I'm laughing, but it's like, man, Christians, we do that all the time too, though, don't we? We make excuses for keeping the stuff that we like that we know God doesn't like. We make excuses for holding on to the thing that honestly, if somebody asked us, we wouldn't even have a good reason for why we still do it. Anybody been asked, like, hey, man, you watch that show? I'm like, yeah, I love that show. I'm like, really? Huh. I didn't think you would watch that show because you're a Christian. It's like, oh, 
mm. like that instant conviction because you know you're wrong, but no one ever challenged you on it, so you just kept doing it? Y'all, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Just let that stuff go. I know you used to love it. I know you feel like you need it. Just let that stuff go. See what it's like to live a fully devoted life to Jesus for just seven days. For the next week, just say, all right, y'all, you know what? I'm going to live a fully devoted life. I'm not going to make excuses for doing things that I know I shouldn't. I'm not going to make excuses for, for watching and being around and enjoying the comedy of things that I know I shouldn't. If Jesus was standing right beside me, how would I live my lives? Because guess what? He is, <laughs> right? So here's the, I want us to live that way. And I, I'm saying it in a joking way, but really, like, do you think that God doesn't want more for you? I stopped doing the big visible sins. Do you think that, okay, God's good with me now? Like, that's all God wants for my life. That's all he wants to do through me. We talked last week about how we always want the new wines, but we want to hold on to our old wineskins. And that's reality, y'all. I like being who I was. And I feel like I got enough God. So we're content with the measure of God that we're walking in. And the world around us is in desperate need of more. Through what? So let's stop making excuses for living with a little bit of ratchet in our lives. Let's stop making excuses for why these things are good for us. Oh, it's just a little bit. Oh, it's just my way to unwind and relax. Like, let's find new things to recharge ourselves in Christ. Let's find new ways to release stress. Let's find new ways to enjoy our downtime. Let's find new ways to invest in our souls and not just keep accommodating for the flesh. I'm not trying to take nothing from y'all, y'all. I really am not. Because I'm getting convicted talking about some stuff up here myself. But the reality is God wants to give us more, more of himself, more wisdom. The things that you're praying for are on the other side of your obedience. We realize this, right? The things that you're praying for are on the other side of this next step of holiness. God is not trying to take anything from you. He's trying to pry our hands open so that he can put himself and the things that we actually want inside. So that's what God wants to do. He doesn't want to just be an accessory to our lives. He doesn't want to just sprinkle some goodwill on our plans. He wants to wreck our lives. But then he wants to rebuild our lives better, happier, more joyful, better than we can ever think, ask, or imagine in him. And I promise you it's better. It's better to walk with God. It's better to walk with his people. Holiness is actually not as scary as we think it is. Will we we help each other do that this week, y'all? We say, God, okay, for this week, I'm just going to try. I'm just going to try what it means to live a life that is utterly devoted. Let's see what God does in us and through us this week. Let me pray for us. Father, God, you call us to change. God, you change the disciples to apostles. You change the names of those who followed you. You change the standard of holiness, God, that it's not just uh, obedience to laws, God, but it's a transformed heart, which we can only get in Jesus. And God, you went so far as to even redefine what family means, God. That anyone who trusts in you, anyone who walks with you, Father, is now our brother and our sister. But God, you want more from us. And so God, help us, Father, walk in obedience to you this week. Help us, Father God, to trust you with our lives. Help us to trust you with our time, Father God. Help us to give up the things that have been holding us back from growth and growing in you. 
church head bows and eyes closed just stay in a moment of prayer we're going to sing a song to just let the holy spirit speak to us but i want to say this to those who don't know jesus if you are here in this place and you don't know god or if you're not sure that you know god when we stand and sing i'm going to invite you to stand and walk to the back and have a conversation with somebody i'm not asking you to make a decision i'm not asking you to to do anything other than begin a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. Don't leave this place stuck in your sin. Don't leave this place thinking that you heard a self-improvement sermon, because that is not what you heard. You heard that there's nothing that you can do. But the good news is you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus and what he has done. So if you don't know God, if you don't know that you know God, in a moment when I ask everyone to stand, why don't you stand but then walk immediately to the back? There's going to be somebody that wants to pray with you and pray for you and help you take this next step of faith. Church, let's stand and sing and hear what the Lord would say to us in light of his word.